Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast. I am, of course, John Campia, and this is my daily show, just taking your questions, topics, and opinions that you guys send in to me. And how do you get a topic, opinion, or question to me? It's simple. Just email me anytime at the John Campia podcast at gmail.com. And make sure you're following me too on social media, on Twitter and on Facebook, simply at John Campia, because sometimes I take your comments and your questions from there as well. And yesterday was kind of an eventful day in the world of uh, movie news. First of all, we find out that it looks like Taika Waititi, the director of the upcoming Thor Ragnarok and the director of the amazing comedy, What We Do in the Shadows. Check that movie out if you have not. He came out and said, it looks like Thor Ragnarok is actually going to be the shortest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, coming in at about 100 minutes. Now, that's just about 10 minutes over an hour and a half. That's usually where I like my movies to be. Some movies are better at two hours. Some movies are better at two and a half hours, absolutely, but I like that. Then they also finally announced an official release date Pardon me for Wonder Woman 2. It's going to be December 13th. 2019. Now, some people, I made a video about this last night. You can check it out on my channel, but some people are wondering like why it's so late. Like Wonder Woman right now is the hottest title. Why waiting so long? It's two and a half years away. Why wait that long? And I look at it differently. I actually think it shows, and I mentioned this in the video, I think it shows really good restraint and patience on the part of Warner Brothers. Uh, I don't think it's too far away, but it's not too close either. I think that's a really nice target. And the most interesting thing to me about that Wonder Woman release date was that they're moving it from a summer-ish movie release to a holiday season, to a Christmas time release. That's interesting. So we're going to see how that all works out, but I thought that was cool. James Cameron's talking about Terminator again, he says he's planning another trilogy. When the hell he's going to do that, considering he's got 18 Avatar movies he's making literally till 2025. Not 18 movies, literally, but literally time-wise. His last Avatar film doesn't come out till 2025, so I don't know when the hell he's supposed to make a Terminator film. But all that's going on in the world movies. But what we're really here to do today is to take the stuff that you guys want to talk about, the topics and opinions that are interesting you guys. So... Let's jump to it. The first question today comes to us from Chip Jordan, who writes, Hey, John, love the podcast and make sure to watch it every day. Thank you so much, Chip. I appreciate that. I wanted to know why Marvel can't just buy the rights to all their characters and have their version of the characters and other studios, Fox and Sony, could have their version of the characters. I mean, it makes sense to me. Yeah, so normally when we're talking about the issue about the movie rights between characters, who has which movie rights. We're talking about which company has rights to make those movies. Sony has the rights to Spider-Man. Fox has the rights to X-Men. Marvel has the rights to Captain America, for example. But it's an interesting thing you bring up, Chip, because what the question that not a lot of people have asked is, well, why not just have both? Like, why not have Marvel buy partial rights, say, to the Fantastic Four, from Fox that allows Marvel to make their Fantastic Four movie and Fox is still allowed to make their Fantastic Four movie or X-Men or Spider-Man or whatever you have it. Why not divvy up the rights so that, hey, Marvel, you've got a vision for Fantastic Four. You go ahead and make a Fantastic Four movie. Fox, you've got your own unique vision for Fantastic Four. You go ahead and make a Fantastic Four movie. Why not just do that? I think the answer is actually a simple one. It's a really interesting question, but I think the answer is a simple one. And it's not about rights or anything like that because there's a way to divvy up rights if you really wanted to do it. Money speaks. But 
I think the main thing is the value of the brand. Now, you pay money for something because you believe it has value. And if you put a lot of money into something, you want something to maintain or grow in its value. For example, you buy a house. That's a huge investment. Biggest investment most people ever make in their lives is buying a house. If you knew that buying a house, two years later, the value of that house would have dropped in half, then you're not going to buy that house. You want to buy a house that you believe is at least going to hold its value and ideally grow in value. That's the idea. When you invest money, you expect a return and a growth in those finances. Here's the risk if you're Marvel, right? Let's say you pay $2 billion to Fox for the rights to make your own version of Fantastic Four. Okay, fine. So now you've got the rights to Fantastic Four and Fox can make their own Fantastic Four movies. Well, now you got to start talking about the value of what you just purchased. Because let's say Marvel makes a Fantastic Four film. And, or, you know, let's back up a little bit. Let's say Marvel's in the planning stages of making a Fantastic Four film. And they've got a great idea for it. And they're putting millions of dollars into it. But then Fox comes out with their Fantastic Four movie first. And let's say it sucks for argument's sake. Okay. Let's say it sucks. Well, that's going to affect, if you're Marvel, that's going to affect your movie. Because now the movie going audience just saw a Fantastic Four movie and it sucked. Now your investment, if you're Marvel, your investment of buying half the rights to Fantastic Four has just gone down in value. Like maybe your Fantastic Four movie, if you're Marvel, would have made $600 million worldwide. But because Fox just came out with theirs and it was terrible, now your movie instead of $600 million worldwide might make $350 million. Because let's keep in mind, the average movie-going audience does not know and does not care what studio made what movie. All right? Let's be understand that. You ask the average film-goer coming out of Spider-Man Homecoming, hey, who made that film, Sony or Spider-Man? Or Sony or Spider-Man? Sony or Marvel, who made that film? The, the film-goer is going to go, uh, uh, Marvel? Or the, uh, Sony? I bet you anything, like maybe 3% of the audience knows that that was a collaborative effort between Sony and Marvel. I bet they don't know it. And I bet when they watch X-Men, other than the fact that there's a big Fox logo, but if you talk to them going into it, say, oh, who made Logan? Was it Marvel? Was it Warner Brothers? Was it Fox? Or was it Sony? I, I, I don't know that a lot of people would get it right. They don't care. But they do recognize the name Fantastic Four. And if a Fantastic Four movie comes out one year and it completely sucked, then they're less likely, even if it's a totally different studio with a totally new cast, it's going to hurt the value of your brand. And so that's why I think you don't see these studios splitting up uh, those characters because <clears throat> they want to maintain the value of the brand and be in control of the value of your brand. Because if you split the rights up and you're Marvel and Fox, right? You let, Let's say, I, I don't know, I'm just trying to think in, in big stretches of hyperbole here, okay? Let's say that Marvel decides to make Johnny Storm a gay character. Let's say they wanted to do something a little socially progressive and they wanted to make Johnny Storm a gay character just for the heck of it. Okay. But now Fox is over there. It's like now the perception of one of their characters in their movies is going to be changed that they weren't in control of through it's completely outside of their control. Marvel now says Johnny Storm is gay in their movie. So now people are going to look at your character that way, whether you wanted to make your character that or not. So that, again, that's just a hyperbole, uh, a hyperbole example of, you know, studios, if you put money into a property, you want to be in control of that property and you want to maintain and build the value of that property. And if you're splitting up the rights amongst multiple 
studios that can both make movies based on that IP, you are losing chunk of control and you could potentially be losing value based on something that's completely outside of your hands. So that's probably why you don't see stuff like that happening very often. Thanks a lot for the question, Chip. All right, we move on to the next question. And the next question today comes to us from Sean Burt, who writes, why the hell does everyone believe Ben Affleck when he said that he loved being Batman? He looks in physical pain saying saying that it's so clearly BS, but the clickbait sites jump all over it saying, oh, Ben Affleck confirms he's staying as Batman. Okay, well, there are a number of things in that question, Sean. Thanks a lot for the question. The one thing I really want to zero in on, though, is a phrase you used, which is the phrase clickbait. I want to, I want to zero in on that for a second, okay? Now, for those of you who don't know, there are reports from The Hollywood Reporter and others that, um, that Ben Affleck is not long to play Batman. Uh, it's, it's, I've said for a long time, I think it's 50, 50 that he does the first standalone Batman. I still think it's possible. I'm not going to be surprised if he does the first standalone Batman, but if he does any more DC movies after that, I'll be shocked. Like I'm pretty sure he's done after that. The Hollywood reporter is saying that as well. So then Ben Affleck comes out at Comic-Con and says, Hey, I'm Batman. It's funny. He didn't come out at Comic-Con and said, no, I am going to be Batman in all three of the upcoming Batman movies. And I am going to be Batman for this. He didn't say that. He just said, I'll be Batman as long as they want me to be. Okay. But here's the thing. We can interpret what Ben said. Sure, we can do that. But the fact of the matter is, that is what Ben said. Ben got on stage at Comic-Con and he said that he's still Batman. That's what he said. So for a site like Variety or a site like even the, the smaller sites, Slash Film, Coming Soon, Screen Rant, Cinema Blend, Collider, whatever. If those sites then run a headline that says, Ben Affleck says he's still Batman, or if they run a title that says, Ben Affleck confirms he's still Batman, that's what happened. That's what he said. Now, you may believe it or not believe it. You may think he's BSing it or not BSing it, but put all that to the side for a second. The fact of the matter is Ben Affleck got on stage and that's what he said. Therefore, for a website and a movie news site to run that title is in no way, shape or form clickbait. That's what happened. So that's what they put in their title. It is not clickbait. And you know what? It brings up a bigger subject for me. This whole thing about you're seeing the use of that phrase a lot more, usually by brain dead people, but you're seeing the use of that phrase more and more. Not that you are. I'm, I'm just saying this is what I'm seeing out there by people that phrase clickbait. They just use it more and 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 more. And they don't even understand what clickbait is or what clickbait is meant, like what the definition of it is. And I noticed the rise of it with, and I'm not getting into politics here. I don't care if you hate Donald Trump. I don't care if you love Donald Trump. I'm not talking about him as a president, okay? I'm, I'm just pointing out one thing that both left people on the left and right seem to agree on. And that's, you know, Donald Trump made it popular that if there's ever anything in the news that you don't like or you don't agree with, just label it as fake news. Just label it. Try to Try to discredit it by putting a label on it. And saying it's fake news. No, uh, no, it's not fake news. That's actually, that's the facts that they just printed. Fake news. Okay, so, and so 
ever since he started doing that, it's become more and more popular for people online to find a way to instantly, with a label, discredit or dismiss something that they just don't like or something that they just don't agree with. So if you say a headline that you don't like, you go, ah, clickbait, clickbait. It's like, no, that's that's not clickbait. That that site said Ben Affleck is confirming that he's going to be Batman. Oh, that's clickbait. That, that, but that, that's what he said. It's not clickbait. You know, clickbait's been around for a long time. But clickbait really became, the, the term really became more popular and more standardized when there was a window of time there a couple of years ago when ridiculous sites like BuzzFeed, not that BuzzFeed is ridiculous, but what they used to do was ridiculous. When BuzzFeed and other things, sites like those were growing and they would do headline, headlines like this, okay? You guys have seen these headlines. Headlines like this. Puppy meets Bengal tiger. You'll have nightmares over what happened next. That's a clickbait title. That's a clickbait title. Or woman, uh, a woman gets on Southwest plane and is too big for seat. You won't imagine her reaction. That's a clickbait title. Because even then, you know, you used to click on those articles and the puppy and the Bengal tiger just shared a, a bowl of water together. Or you won't imagine the woman's reaction. The react, and the woman just goes, oh, don't worry about it. I'll just catch another f- flight on an airline that has a big enough seat. But they use these titles to bait you in, to bait you in. That's clickbait. Clickbait is also changing the truth of a story to put into a title. So, for example, let's say that uh, Steven Spielberg is talking about, uh, I don't know, an E.T. movie. He's talking about E.T., right? And he kind of passes, in, in passing, he mentions uh, in, mentions Jaws and says, oh, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great someday to, if we had another Jaws movie? If that didn't happen, by the way. I'm just making the scenario up, okay? So let's say he does that. And all he said in, in was a passing thing. He's actually talking about another movie franchise. He's talking about E.T., but he makes a passing remark. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if somebody made a Jaws movie? And then, then you run a title, Steven Spielberg planning return to Jaws. That's not what the story was. That was not what the comment was. That was not what Steven Spielberg was saying, but that's what you put in the title to make it more salacious and want to draw you in. That's clickbait. That's clickbait. For an outlet or a YouTube channel or a website or whatever to put in a headline, something that was actually said or actually done, that's not clickbait. I know it's the popular thing that if you don't like the headline and you don't like the story, just call it clickbait and try to discredit it that way. Sorry, you can call it clickbait all you want, but it's not clickbait. It's what happened. And if websites run stories saying Ben Affleck confirms he's going to be Batman, well, that's actually exactly what happened. Therefore, it ain't clickbait. At all. I remember I put um, I put up a story last night. I put up a YouTube video last night about James Cameron planning new Terminator tril- trilogy because there was a story. And in the interview, James Cameron says that him and the guy who owns the international rights to Terminator, because James Cameron's about to own the domestic rights to it. He said that the two of them are talking and right now they're planning on a three film arc to restart the franchise. Okay. So my headline was James Cameron planning new Terminator trilogy. And I had people going, that's clickbait, John. That's clickbait. I'm like, no, that's that's what happened. That's what happened. Or I do this show. I do uh, uh, the John Campion podcast where mostly I take questions. So in my titles, I put what the question was, right? 
So the other day on one of our shows, I had somebody ask me, hey, you know, Michael Fassbender, as great of an actor as he is, he's had a string of bad movies in a row. When you're looking at Light Between Oceans, you're talking Assassin's Creed, uh, X-Men Apocalypse, and he listed a couple. And he asked, hey, does he need a hit film to get his career back on track? Like, is his career in trouble? So I put in the title of my video, I put one bigger topic first. And then as the second topic I put, is Michael Fassbender's career in trouble? Now, my answer to that question was no, his career is not in trouble. He's doing fine. Nobody blames him for the poor movies he's been in. He's still a very hot name, blah, 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 blah. But some idiot writes, how dare you question whether Michael Fassbender is a good thing? That's a clickbait title. It's like, no, that's the question somebody sent in that I addressed. So I put it in the title. So I just really want to get this whole thing about clickbait. I want to get a conversation started. I want people to start talking about how misused and abusive and dismissive and how false just throwing around a title like clickbait is when 90% of the time when somebody's trying to label something as clickbait, it's not clickbait. It's not. Learn what clickbait is and, and then get into that a little bit. Now, as far as to the bigger overall arcing thing, like why are people believing Ben Affleck? Well, because you can't just assume he's lying. Now, my argument is you shouldn't just assume he's telling the truth either. Like, like again, I, I pointed this out on my social media. In December, reports came out that he wasn't going to be directing Batman. In January, he goes on Jimmy Kimmel and insists, I'm still directing Batman. Still in January, just days later, it's officially announced he's not directing Batman. So, report comes out saying one thing, Warner Brothers and Ben deny it, and then it gets confirmed as true. That's the history. So, but that doesn't mean you should just assume every time Ben speaks, he's lying. But I'm just making the point that you should take anything with a grain of salt because the movie studio PR machine is trying to control the narrative. That is their jobs. That's what they do. So there are a lot of people believing what Ben says because there's a lot of reason to believe him. He got on stage and he said it. So why not believe him? I don't think it's irrational for people to believe it. It's not. I also don't think it's irrational to have some doubt about it. I, like I said, I am 100% convinced that after the first standalone Batman movie, and I'm not even sure he's actually going to be in the standalone Batman movie, but I think I won't be surprised if he is, but that after the standalone Batman movie, he's done. He's not going to do anymore. Now, we're not going to know for sure whether that's true or not till about four years from now when we get past the first Batman movie. And the first Batman movie probably isn't going to come out till at least 2020. Hopefully it comes out sooner than that. I can't wait to see what Matt Reeves is actually doing with it. But no, people saying Ben Affleck confirmed that he's still Batman is not clickbait. And it's not irrational to believe him either. Uh, I just think there's multiple ways of looking at things and there's nothing wrong with looking at it a certain way. So anyway, went on on that for a while. Thanks a lot for the question, Sean. All right. Next question comes from Jeff Griffith, who writes... With Bond 25 now having an official release date in 2019, I find myself thinking about that rumor about the Bond producers wanting a 007 cinematic universe. What would you think if certain Bond characters got the spin-off treatment? Yeah, um, I remember hearing about that, that, that the uh, Bond producers, I haven't heard it officially confirmed, but I have heard the rumor that the Bond producers would like to expand the 007 brand and actually make a cinematic universe out of it. And when you think about it, that's a pretty natural leap to make. That's 007 program. I mean, we've had other James Bond movies where he's come across other double O's. And I think it was uh, Goldeneye. I think it was Goldeneye where Sean Bean played the double O that went bad. But at, at any rate, so 
it's actually a pretty good idea. I would love to see other movies based on other 007 agents who cross paths with James Bond. Now, I'm not quite sure that I want to see a Q standalone movie. I'm not quite sure that I want to see a, a, a Money Penny standalone movie. I'm not quite sure I want to see a yeah, standalone movie on some of the other characters, but to expand the universe into other 007 agents? That could be interesting. I would be on board for that. I don't know that they're going to do it, but I certainly think it's feasible and I think it's something that they should look at. All right. Thanks a lot for the question. All right. We'll move on to the next question, which comes to us from Robert E. Smith, who writes, I know that you've said that you were a big fan of Warcraft in the past. And while the movie may not have been the best, I want to know your opinion on if any if any of Blizzard's properties could be adapted to the big screen. The StarCraft franchise in particular could make for a great movie if done correctly. Yeah. Um, other than Warcraft, World of Warcraft, there is no other video game that I have spent more hours of my life playing than StarCraft and StarCraft 2. I am a huge StarCraft fan. And the, like I said, the only game I played more was Warcraft, World of Warcraft. I love StarCraft. It's great. The whole idea, the Terrans, uh, their backstory is great. The Zerg, their backstory is great. The Protoss, their story is great. All the sub things within those. It's, it is a great story. Now, first of all, you mentioned that it's a great story. It could be a good movie if done correctly. I say this all the time. Anything could be a done movie, could be a good movie if done correctly. I could make, I'm used to jokes. Here we go. Felipe, the sentient dancing microphone. That's the thing I came up with a long time ago when talking about this. I can say, oh, okay, um, this microphone, let's pretend it comes to life and it dances and his name is Felipe. Felipe, the sentient dancing microphone. If you get a good script and a good director and good performances and, you know, good visual effects and all that kind of stuff, it could be, if done right, a good movie, even though the concept is ridiculous. So, yes, a StarCraft movie could be very good if done correctly, but so can any story. But StarCraft itself is something I'd be incredibly interested in, and I think we'd, we'd get a lot of attention. Here's the problem, though. WarCraft may only made like $47 million domestically. It did great internationally, so overall its worldwide total was somewhere in the, somewhere in the $440 million range, okay? So that's great, but that domestic number is very concerning. And even that worldwide number, they anticipated when they first started making it, the initial projections were around $700 million. So it did well less than what they wanted to do. To do a movie like StarCraft, a sci-fi space battle-based thing with three species where two of them have to be CGI'd in their entirety, that's an expensive endeavor. That's a lot of money. And you're gonna have to spend a lot of money to market it on top of that. And if you're a movie studio and you're sitting back, well, the last Blizzard property didn't do all that great. And it was the more popular property. Like, prefer whichever game you want. Warcraft is the more popular name than StarCraft. And a studio is going to sit back and go, it's going to take a buttload of money to make this thing. Another buttload of money to market it. And the previous one didn't do that great. Um, that's why I don't think, no, I would love for there to be a StarCraft movie. You know, I want to see, I don't know, Chris Pratt playing Rainer, maybe. I don't know. Um, and maybe uh, Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell playing Rainer. There we go. Perfect casting. You're welcome, Hollywood. I, I would love to see it. I just don't see it happening, though, with the history and the amount of money it would take to make. It's just too big of a gamble. But I hope I'm wrong. It would be awesome if they did it. All right. The next question we have comes to us from Golden Age, who writes, 
Do you think we will ever see a Calvin and Hobbes get a movie, a special or anything on screen? I know the creator, Bill Watterson, isn't a big fan of those types of things, but it would be nice to see my favorite comic strip get animated. Yeah, look, Calvin and Hobbes, bar none, no questions asked, by a mile, is the goat. It is the greatest of all time. It is sweet. It is the funniest thing. It is insightful. It's special. The Calvin and Hobbes comic strip, there's no getting around it, is absolutely special. I love Dilbert. I love The Far Side. There's a number of comic strips I really enjoy. The classic Garfields, absolutely. But nothing comes close to Calvin and Hobbes. Nothing. And when it ended its run with Calvin and Hobbes jumping on, I'm getting sentimental thinking about it, hopping on the very last Calvin Hobbes ever done, hopping on a sled and going down a snowy hill with Calvin yelling, let's go exploring. I I remember I, I had tears in my eyes reading that. It is incredible. But Bill Watterson, the creator, has really fought against any marketing, merchandising, anything like that. He just doesn't want it. Like anything you see with Calvin and Hobbes on it, unless it's actually one of the Calvin and Hobbes books, is probably, a, it's a bootleg. Bill Watterson does not, has not licensed official merchandise for it. Or else I would have Calvin and Hobbes plush toys all over my freaking room. Um, but here's the other thing. I would love to see a return to the comic strip. I, I'd be nervous if they made a movie out of it. Because one of my other favorite comic strips, Dilbert, right? They did do an animated television series on it. And no matter how, I realized this isn't fitting my mental image. What Dilbert sounds like is not what I envisioned Dilbert sounding like. What Dogbert sounds like is not what I envisioned Dogbert sounding like. What Catbert or Alice or the, the, you know, the pointy haired boss or all that, it's not what I envisioned. And so it always felt awkward to me. And I think no matter what they would do with a Calvin and Hobbes movie, it probably wouldn't fit the vision I had in my head reading the comics. So I don't think it'll happen because Bill Watterson, at least not as long as Bill Watterson's alive, maybe when he dies and passes the rights on to his family and his family might have a change of heart. But even then I'd be a little bit nervous, I have to admit. Anyway, thanks a lot for the question. And we move on to the final question today. And the final question comes to us from Mark Ku, sorry, Mark Kutanche, who writes, Reviewers and fans talk a lot about movie directors who often receive praise or blame for a movie's success or failure. Why did we not hear more about the script writers? It seems to me that a script writer can sometimes be equally or even more vital to a movie's success. Has it always been like this? Why do the writers get no love? Yeah, it is unfortunate because you, you can make a bad movie out of a good script. It's almost impossible to make a good movie off a bad script. The script is the starting point of any good movie and the bones that make up any movie. I think one of the reasons Hollywood doesn't give more credit to writers uh, might be because of this. Now, whether this is, you know, whether this person is right or wrong, I'm not sure. But here's what I was told once. I was once in the uh, the head offices of uh, Lakeshore Entertainment. They're the studio behind movies like Crank and things like that. So I was in their offices once and one of the senior vice presidents there who was kind of in charge of script development and picking out scripts, took me into his office and he pointed this huge stack of scripts. And there was a mountain of scripts over here. And over here was a big stack of scripts. And you'll see that those are all great scripts. Those are scripts that I've read over the past couple of weeks. And those had to be about like 25 of them. Those are great scripts. But 
finding he told he told me again maybe he's right maybe he's wrong but this is what he told me he goes finding great scripts is not the hardest thing in the world there are great scripts out there the difficult thing is finding a great script that can translate to the big screen and then getting filmmakers involved who actually turn a good script into a good movie he said that's the tricky part the harder part is taking a good script and making it into a good movie we've seen lots of movies look studios don't greenlight scripts and don't greenlight movies unless they got a script that they think is good. So some of the worst movies you've ever seen started with scripts that a room full of smart people thought was a good script. It just didn't get translated well into a movie. So they told me that the more difficult, the more challenging part was taking a good script and then making it into a good movie. And it's probably because of that mentality that in Hollywood you see that directors and things like that get a lot more of the credit than writers do. Whether that's right or wrong, that's up for everybody to debate. I don't think you can underestimate the importance of the role of the screenwriter. Like I said, you cannot make a good movie out of a bad script, but you can make a bad movie out of a good script. So yeah, I believe they deserve more credit than they get. Uh, and yeah. All right, guys, that'll do it for this installment of my John Campia podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And listen, guys, don't forget, I love to promote the app, Share the Meal. It's a great little app. Just pull it out, load it up on your phone, click the button, share the app or share the meal. I mean, I said share the app, share the meal. And you've donated $3.50 that will feed a hungry kid for a week. Sign up for it. Give it a shot. I think you'll get addicted to it. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter, at John Campion. That'll do it for for me for today, guys. Thanks a lot for joining me. Until next time, bye-bye.